This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing, and we're going to be talking about gardening for the next hour. So I hope you want to, because that's what I'm here for. And uh, matter of fact, I'm not even here for, for, for talk about gardening. I'm here to talk with you about gardening. So you know, give us a call. And it doesn't matter to me if you want to do horticulture or, you know, real left brain rules and all that kind of stuff. I can do that. I'm a horticulturist. Or if you just want to talk about, you know, how to keep your neighbor's dogs from using your Bat, your yard is a bat, whatever. You, let's talk about it. If you want to talk about anything related to gardening at all, give us a call. It's toll free, one eight seven seven mpb ring I can't remember the number, so I just give that out. MPB stands for Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and ring is what Kevin Farrell is hoping that you do so we can put him to work instead of watching the sports stuff on his phone in there. Anyway, hey, Java, what a great morning. What a great morning. Did you end up taking your kids to the fair? We talked about that last week. Yeah, we got a chance to go to the fair, and, you know, we didn't stay as long as I wanted to stay because I'm a big kid, but um, everybody got a chance to ride, got some good pictures and videos sent to the grandparents, and uh, everybody ate their favorite fair food. Okay, what was the worst of the of their favorite? And that includes you, too. What do you mean, the worst? Yeah, what was the worst? You know, because everybody, you know, I've, I've got some food at the fair that sounded like a good idea, but it turned out to be, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it was like deep fried Snickers bars. I said, no, I can't do this. No, it's we, crazy. We did. Um, we, uh, we got the deep fried Snickers. I had never tried it. My wife uh, had it before and it was actually good. I mean, I got my traditional funnel cake. Oh yeah. That was, you know, my, what I kind of wanted. So, um, I mean, well, it wasn't, it, I don't know, b- bad fair food. <laughs> well, what about the corn? Did y'all try the corn? No, we didn't get the corn, and um, like I said, we didn't get a chance to stay as long as I wanted to, but, you know. Well, especially after eating stuff like that, the kids were bouncing off the fairway. No question about that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the reason I want to mention that, because I got an email the other day. Let me see if I can find who it was. Oh, Bill Prescia. He wanted to know when corn is ready to pick. And uh, that's what I was thinking of the State Fair. When is corn ready to pick when you're growing it yourself? And this is one of those stupid things that I know that I wish I didn't know except for times like this. When you plant corn and it grows the leaves and it grows a little corn in, when those little silk things start to stick out the end of the, the ear of corn, you got 21 days before you can pick the corn. I know it sounds crazy, but those are the little female flowers that get the pollen from the tassels. And it takes about three weeks from when they first show to when it's time to, to pick the corn. I know that's kind of weird, but there it is. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people plant all the corn at one time. It means you've got to pick it all at one time. It means you've got to eat it all at one time if you want to be nice and sweet. Anyway, I've got some other emails. I've got some really interesting emails I want, I want to share with you all and some events that are coming up uh, next week, uh, two of which I'm going to go to myself. I think they're going to be a whole lot of fun. And uh, we're going to talk about those and uh, some cheesy music and a few other odds and ends. But uh, uh, let's do what we do best, and let's start out by talking to people about gardening. We're going to talk with Jim in Jackson. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning, pal. They're Jim Rosenblatt. Hey, How are you doing? I'm doing fine. What's up, Dean? Well, I was cutting the dead flowers off our hydrangeas uh, last week, and I got to thinking, uh, aside from improving the appearance, 
does it help the plant at all to deadhead the blossoms like that? Is it does the plant know or benefit from uh, deadheading? Is it kind of like me cutting my toenails? <laughs> well, in some plants it does make a difference. Uh, in things like shrubs and all, it's not that big a deal, Jim, because uh, you know, th- those flower heads you cut off are really the dried flower bracts. The flowers are long gone. Uh, so it really doesn't matter on shrubs and stuff uh, unless you actually prune back to the stems. But on things like annuals, like, uh, like uh, zinnias, okra, things like that, if you remove the spent flowers, keep them from going to fruit, that frustrates them and annuals to start blooming again. So deadheading ha- helps annuals and some perennials flower more quickly, but not that big a deal on the shrubs. Thank you, sir. Uh, let, let me ask you something. Uh, you, you're the uh, Dean Emeritus, I guess, of uh, MC, uh, Mississippi College School of Law. Do y'all have a, 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 a colors? Do you, does MC have colors for their team, or is that campus thing you don't worry about uh the colors are blue and gold blue and gold all righty just want to double check because we'll be talking about that in a little while anyway hands back in the wheel jim thanks for your call man Righty, deadheading. That just means removing spent flowers, and that does help some plants continue. You know, if you don't pick your okra and you let it get big and go to seed, it's going to stop producing. As soon as you cut that okra off, plant says, hang on, there's something not going on here, right? They start making more flowers to make more seeds. That's uh, staying in Jackson. Let's go to Kelly. Hey, Kelly, good morning. Hey, good morning, Felder. Uh, I would just want to say I'm a proud MC Law alumnus and Always a, a pleasure to hear Dean Rosenblatt when he calls into your show. Yeah, that's that's a way to suck up. Listen, um, <laughs> I, I need to plant some trees in my yard. I have some uh, sweet gums that have died. They've been cut back, and yeah. I have uh, big holes where the stumps were, and I'm thinking possibly crepe myrtles would be a good choice. And I wondered when is the best time to plant those, and where is a good place to get good stock? Okay, a couple of three things first, Kelly. Uh, it, you know, did you have the stumps ground? Yes, they've okay. been ground and they've been gone for a while. In fact, you know, I just kind of have holes left there where they were. The, okay. the tree has rotted out. Well, here, here's what I'm getting at. Those trees also had great big roots. Some are as big around as your legs. And as those roots decompose, they're going to leave root-shaped holes in the ground. So it's going to cave in in long streaks here and there. So I wouldn't plant right on those because there's nothing but, you know, I would plant to the side of the old stumps is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, second of all, you can plant a, a tree that's grown in a container anytime you can dig a good hole. And a good hole means a wide hole, not deep, but wide. You know, uh, if you don't feel a little stupid about it, if it's not at least three feet or so wide, it's not big enough. Because we're trying to get those new trees to grow roots straight out. And so loosen, if you don't dig a wide hole, at least loosen the dirt a shovel's depth, you know, two or three feet out from the hole. That'll help them grow quickly. Uh, and when you get your plants, be sure to loosen up the potting soil and the roots just a little bit to get them started in your dirt. That's really important. Don't just pull it out of the pot and stick it in the ground. Uh, it, if you do that, you can plant any time you get around to it. So, uh, uh, you know, I would think about just digging some holes and then getting tree. Let me back up. I'm not recommending crepe myrtles right now. I just planted a whole bunch. It's the state, uh, it's the official tree of Jackson. It's the most popular flowering tree in the South. But we've got a real serious problem with the new insect pests that there's realistically not a control for, for crepe myrtles. Down the road, I don't think they're going to be the best choice. So uh, let me recommend some other kind of plants instead. If you want a small flowering tree, for example, there's one called Vitex that's got spikes of real pretty uh, uh uh, purple or blue flowers. Uh, there's small flowering trees like uh, our native 
parsley hawthorn. There's light. There, there's a, a sort of airy evergreen native yopon holly. There's a bunch of things besides crepe myrtles right now. I think over the next few years, crepe myrtles is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouth. I hate to say that because I got them in my own yard. But okay. if if you shoot me an email, Kelly, I, I, you know I've got a little short list. I work with a guy named Bob Bruzak up at uh, the Mississippi State the Landscape Architecture School. We, we, we've come up with a pretty nice little list of alternatives to crepe myrtles. Okay. Uh, where do you recommend getting the, the trees to plant? Are the well, big you, box stores a good source or you know, uh, well, local we, stores or order I, them, or what do you recommend? Oh, I, I always recommend shopping local. I would rather uh, you know, get something from a, from a locally owned place, you know, but the box stores have really good deals. Uh, there's also a, uh, some, some wholesale places, but, you know, in, anyway, decide what kind of tree you want, then do, just do a little shopping around for it and get the best one at the best price. And, and that changes from month to month, at, even at, low, at, at every store. So let's find okay. out what you want first, and then uh, shoot me an email. I'll give you a few hints. Okay. We appreciate the help. Thank you. You bet, Kelly. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Hattiesburg. Thomas, what's up? Oh, not much. Uh, I got a two-part question. I, I did a solarization project last about uh, about July, I guess, because the wheat, it rained so much, and it just took over my garden and ruined my garden. So I just I trimmed it, weed-eated it. I put a three-mil plastic. I water-sealed it. And, and the, I guess so much rain, it just grew. The grass just kept growing. Oh yeah. And so I didn't know if I failed on that or what. But my question on that is, is can I just? I had heard something other. You could just go ahead and leave that project through the winter. And uh, it, maybe that would help. I don't know. Yeah, it was just this is clear plastic, right? Was was it clear plastic you used? Yes, number okay. three metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a uh, couple, couple of things. First of all, the solarization. The way it works is, it's just like if you leave the windows up on your on your car, your pickup truck on a hot day, it traps the heat in there, and so it only really works when it's really, really hot and moist. Because what happens? The sun goes through the the plastic. It heats up the moisture in the soil, turns it into steam, and the plastic traps that steam. So it really only works on fairly smallish plants when it's really hot and the ground is kind of moist. Yeah. Um, you know, and well, there's there some plants that just love it. There's some that just love okay, it. Okay, well, let me ask you another question. We, I'm fixing to get a pine a pine tree stump ground. Uh huh. Can you put those uh, grindings in your garden? I wouldn't. I wouldn't work them directly into the dirt at first. I would use them on top of the ground as a mulch to let them go through a season of kind of decomposing a little bit. Because fresh bark, uh, when it breaks down in the soil, it takes nitrogen away from your plant. So I would use it on the top as a mulch, and then next time you plant, then work it in. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate. So, just would you leave the plastic on the on the garden part? No. What I would do, <laughs> what I would do is I'd go out there and till it up. I plant some stuff and just you know till it and you know and then if, if you want to give it a try again next spring, next uh, you know June or July is when solarization is going to work best. But that's when your garden's you know really kicking. So, uh, and by the way, solarization will kill a lot of weeds. It'll kill a lot of weed seeds, but usually doesn't get them all. So uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be your best approach in the long run, unless you do it in the middle of the summer when your garden's kicking. So anyway, good luck on it. Good luck on it. Ooh, we got a whole bunch of calls lined up. We can go down to Diamond Head. Hey, Andrew, what's going on near the Gulf, the Gulf Coast? 
Hey, Felder. Uh, well, we're probably not as cooling down as fast as everybody else <laughs> is, but we are cooling down, and the grass is slowing down. And I've been cutting all year on the highest setting. Yeah. But where I've always struggled to grow some grass, I'm starting to see just in the normal bad spots, I'm starting to see the weeds go ahead and start catching back up to me because yeah. the grass is kind of dying back. And I was wondering, is A, is it too late to spray? Um, and B, this is uh, St. Augustine, would uh, in my bare spots or in other spots, would throwing ryegrass down for the winter hurt anything? Well, the ryegrass won't hurt. Uh, if the, the way ryegrass hurts St. Augustine centipede is it grows over the wintertime. It needs to be fertilized, you know, in the fall and in, uh, in the winter, which and that fertilizer causes damage to your summer lawn. But also in the spring, if you don't mow it regularly, it'll shade out that first flush of new growth of your St. Augustine. You know, when St. Augustine sort of jump starts itself, with that first flush of growth, uh, usually uh-huh. in, in March or so. And if that gets shaded out, it starts the grass off on a weak foot. So I wouldn't okay. I, I wouldn't oversee St. Augustine centipede, but if you want to put some out in the bare areas, that'd be fine. But basically, you're just swapping one weed for, for another, you know. I know. I'm just trying to keep it green. But is, is it too late in this season to spray weed killer down? We, weed killers work on actively growing small weeds. So if you're, you know, if you've got weeds that are still growing really, really well and they're, you know, they're not all gone to flower and stuff like that, the weed killers will work okay. But, uh, you know, again, if the weeds are hot and they're dry, they're gone to flower, uh, and they're just not growing that well, weed killers just won't work. A lot of those weeds are going to die down as soon as it gets cold anyway. So what I would think about doing would be to concentrate on on, uh, winter weeds, and they're not even up yet. Let's wait until January, February to look at your winter weeds, and then let's get your grass nice and thick next spring and, and think about using the weed killers on your summer weeds next summer. That's what I'd do. Hey, I always appreciate your advice, fellas. Nothing to it. Hey, in other words, you get a pass. Go find something fun to do. All right. Thank you, man. You bet. See ya. Huh. Let's go to Mobile. Hey, Vicky. Good morning. Vicky. Hello. What's up? Yeah. um, I have a yard full of very old growth azaleas, camellias, Uh and gardenias. Uh I'd like to just sort of start over. What is the best way to remove those old plants from my yard? And and uh, I have to hire someone to do it. So, yeah. you know, something that would be cost-effective, too, short of a flamethrower. Yeah, well, the easy, easiest way is have them come with a chainsaw, cut them off flush to the ground, and haul them off. Uh, and then, you know, next year those stumps may sprout back out. Some will and some won't, but if they sprout back out, you know, you could just, you know, step step on them or cut the new growth and that'll peter them out. Or else you could have somebody uh, actually take a like a, the, the chainsaw or the uh, axe or something and cut just the stump itself out. You don't have to worry about the side roots or deep roots, but, you know, if you cut them off flush with the ground and get a little bit of that stump out, they're gone for good. Don't have to dig them all the roots up is what I'm saying, but chain- oh. Okay. Ch- chainsaw and a trailer and some burly guys with, you know, chain uh, an axe or something that'll do it. Fantastic. And uh, you got plenty of time. Eh, leave a few of. Them. Come on, Vicky. Leave a few of them because they're pretty, <laughs> <laughs> and they're there. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying it's your yard. Yeah. But 
Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, you bet. Appreciate it. Uh, some unsolicited advice there, Vicky. Appreciate your call. We've gotten calls from all over the state down in Mobile, uh, Alabama already. We've got some things coming up, This uh, uh, the, some events you might be interested in. I'd love to, to, to share them with you when we come back. Uh, also, some emails that are very interesting. But I would like to mention, this past week, I got really, really lost. I mean, I got lost. Coming back from Startville, I cut over between Macon and Louisville. And I decided to cut down to Philadelphia, and I ended up in Noxapater. <laughs> it's a neat little town. I got a, a little purple house there. If you anywhere near Noxapater, you know about the purple house. But boy, oh boy, I got a back road tour of the central part of North Mississippi. I'm horticulturist fellow rushing here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll be back with more of your phone calls and stuff right after this. MPBOnline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at MPBOnline.org. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. Before we go to this next call, though, let me throw out something. I was, uh, as I walk in in the mornings, I always, you know, steal stuff out of people's yards to talk about. And I grabbed one out of my own yard. I got me some okra. And uh, this is called burgundy okra. It's kind of maroon looking. And uh, I grabbed a flower called angelonia, which is white. So I've got burgundy or maroon and white. I got flowers and fruit. It made me think of the land grant university where we teach about growing flowers and vegetables and fruits and stuff called Mississippi State University. I got maroon and white, okra, and uh, and, and a flower called angelonia. But I also I got this. I found a wild blue azuratum. It's kind of purple. I would call that purple. Uh, it's a wild purple azuratum and then an, a golden orange persimmon. That made me think of the other land-grant university in Mississippi, Alcorn State. So between Alcorn State and Mississippi State, they're land-grant universities. They teach horticulture, and I got flowers and vegetables and fruits to represent their schools. Purple and gold for Alcorn and maroon and white for Mississippi State. And We don't want to get into the fighting okra stuff and the eagles and the land sharks and all that. I'm just talking about growing food and flowers, and that's what Alcorn and Mississippi State teaches how to do. Let's go up to the Delta, middle of the Delta, and talk with Gene and Leland. Hey, Gene, thank you for holding. What's up? What's Hi, what? Felder. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I really enjoy your show and appreciate your advice. You bet. What's up? I have some 40-foot tall pine trees, and the needles are starting to turn brown. Mm-hmm. And I called the tree service out. They said that beetles were boring into the bark and were going to kill the tree eventually. Mm-hmm. And they... Um, told me that I needed to take these trees down. And, and they'll do it for you for a fee, I bet. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> that's kind of where my question's coming okay. from. It's going to be expensive to do it, yeah. and I need kind of a timeline on what you might think, how quickly I should be taking these trees down. Okay. I know it's difficult without seeing No, them, no, no. It, actually, this is not difficult. My son is uh, uh, and, and his wife 
have got a house that got a lot of huge pine trees. And the in Jackson, a big mature pine tree, I mean, these are big trees, are going to cost somewhere in the, the range of 1500 or $2,000 a piece to take down. So that's it. So I, I know what I'm saying. No, plus, I taught the tree surgery course. Let's back up a little bit. If you look at your trees, Gene, from down the street, if they've got needles on the ends of most of their branches, you don't have a problem. The older needles... Uh, you know, not, not the ones on the ends. Last year's needles are starting to fall now. So you'll see a lot of brown stuff on, on, on every branch. But as the ends of the branches are okay on most of the branches, there's not a problem. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm sure about this. They naturally, pine trees naturally are self-pruning. As they grow taller, they naturally drop their older, uh, lower limbs. So you'll always have a dying limb or two or three on mature pine trees, especially in the delta with the kind of weather that you've had the past several years. But if overall they've got leaves on the ends of most of the branches, nothing to worry about. Now, that's the first thing. Second of all, you can you can check for the beetles yourself. When a pine beetle, which is about the size of a grain of rice, goes into a pine tree, a normal healthy tree will push it right back out and it'll have a little water look what looks like uh, uh looks like a big chunk of popcorn stuck on the side of the tree. And that, yes, okay. That. Now, if it's just one or two here and there, it's not a big deal because the tree will actually uh, can 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 repel uh, beetles that way. But if you've got holes, you've got sawdust coming out of it. That means that tr- that, that the beetles are in there and, and and they're girdling the tree. They go around and around up under the bark. When they do that, the tree will die almost overnight. It just seems like wow. One day they're there, next day they're completely brown. You know, that's the symbol, uh, the the symptom that you've got to, uh, that that tree is infested. You only need to worry about taking out the ones that are actually dead. Okay. Now, Good. and and get this, unless you unless your trees are right next to your house or you park your car or neighbor. You don't even have to have them cut down. Pine trees don't tend to fall sideways. They tend to fall straight down a big chunk at a time and make a pile of pine stuff at the base. Okay. Sometimes they'll fall sideways, but most of the time, you know, you don't. If there's not any danger of them causing problems, leave them out there for the woodpeckers and stuff like that. Oh, well, and, there you go. And don't and don't let them say, well, if you got pine beetles, they're going to spread to other trees. Pine beetles are like cold germs and mosquitoes. They're out there anyway. Keep your trees healthy. That's a number. That's really the only practical thing you do to to help uh, pine trees repel pine beetles. So unless they're stressed or they've been hit by lightning or there's severe root problems or something like that, most of the time they'll take care of themselves. I would only worry about the tree that dies completely, and then you've got a couple of years to think about taking it down because it's not going to fall before then. Excellent. I really appreciate this advice. Okay, now take the money I just saved you and go get some tamales at Doe's over in Greenville. <laughs> Sounds like a great plan. <laughs> okay, Gene. Hey, thanks for being part of the program, too. Thanks, Felder. All righty. Yeah, that's true. It's true stuff, folks. I'm not making this up. By the way, let me uh, let me throw out a few things that are that are uh, going on around the, the area you might be interested in. Uh, first of all, this week in the garden, I didn't do squat. I didn't do anything in my garden. I just, I did nothing. I just enjoyed it. That's my goal all along anyway, to plant stuff that's pretty and uh, fragrant, attracts butterflies that I can eat if I want to, things like that, and that'll kind of take care of themselves, and I've succeeded in that for the most part, so I guess it's working pretty well. Uh, oh, I, I water some potted plants, and I fertilize my cabbage and broccoli, and I pick some okra and herbs from my big pot of cool weather soup, and maybe I'll set out some kale this weekend, but it's just too pretty 
to not just relax and enjoy a little bit. Uh, upcoming events, this next coming Thursday on October 25th, the the world, no, let me say, the oldest plant swap in the universe, the universe's oldest plant swap, continuous, is at the library in Flora, Mississippi, which is between Jackson and Yazoo City. It's Thursday, starts at 9 o'clock. Bring one or two Plants that are ready to go, you know, don't just yank something out of the ground. You know, make sure that whoever gets it, it'll live till they get home with it. Uh, but bring one or two nice plants. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind. And uh, it's going to start at 9, so get there in time for them to register you uh, and do the door prize and all that kind of stuff. So 8, 830 is when people start showing up. Flora, Mississippi Library. Now, two days after that, on the 27th of October, is the Mobile plant swap down in Mobile. It's at uh, Central Presbyterian Church, the parking lot. It is an unbelievable assortment of <laughs> people and plants, and I'll be down there for that too. But uh, that's that's at, on Central and, I forget the other street, but Central Pres Church in Mobile. They have a really big plant swap and a lot of fun. So I'll be at both of those. Also, I'm going to be in Pontotoc in November. Uh, I think the 11th. I'm, I can't remember, but uh, it's a, a, a meeting for the public talking about gardening. I guarantee be a fun time. So if you've got anything I can help promote, shoot me an email about it. It's real easy. Garden at mpbonline.org. Uh, today's Tune of the Week. Now, Java, last week it was World Egg Day, so we did a little chicken thing. And somebody says, no, Felder, we can do better than that. So a listener suggested this tune. And I know last week was Earl Egg Day, but I'm thinking this is too cheesy to not share with other people. We're going to take a quick break, listen to a cheesy tune, and come back with your phone calls live here at MPB right after this. A chicken farmer went out on one dark and dusty day And by the coop he rested as he went along his way When all at once a rotten egg hit him in the eye It was the sight he dreaded Ghost chickens in the sky In the sky This farmer had these chickens Since he was 24 Working for the colonel For 30 years or more Raising all those chickens up To send them off to fry And now they want revenge Ghost chickens in the sky sky Their beaks were black and shiny, their eyes were blazing red They had no meat or feathers Oh, these chickens all were dead They picked that farmer up and he died by the claw They cooked him extra crispy and served him with coleslaw In the sky Ghost 
Uh... Okay, thanks. I'm here. Excuse me, excuse me. I'm Felder Rushing. Welcome back. I hope y'all enjoy that cheesy tune. I appreciate somebody bringing that one to my. Thanks a lot for that one. Uh, we actually got a call from somebody who said Marty Robbins is rolling over in his grave. Anyway, if you want to give us a call and talk about <laughs> gardening, give us a call. It's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, I, I mentioned there's a plant swap in Flora, Mississippi next Thursday. Starts at nine. The one at the uh, uh, in Mobile, I don't remember what time it starts, but we'll talk about that maybe next week. Next week is going to be a special drive time, by the way. We're going to play some extra cheesy music, uh, and, um, and st- we're going to be, uh, I think, donating, what is it? Is it do- dog f- uh, food for shelters? Not just dogs, but animals. Yeah, we partner with some local pet shelters around the state. So for uh, contributions coming to MPB, uh, we're going to turn around and donate food to uh, shelters around the state. So when people don't, when people contribute to us, we donate to the pet shelters. Okay, that's going to be next Friday, and I've, I'm going to have some of our the cheesy music selections and talking about that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, I'm not sure when the the plant swap in. And Mobile starts, I think it's at 10 o'clock. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, let me throw out, before, before we go to the phone calls, let me throw this out. Uh, I do want to, uh, to uh, thank people who listen by way of podcast because they're all over there. I got one from, uh, from Georgia, Jane from Georgia. Uh, she said that uh, she's a retired extension professional. She sent me a photo of some really strange little eggs covered with fine white threads she found in her mulch. She was getting a spot ready to plant a new hydrangea and found these little eggs and white threads on them. I want to know what is it and will it harm anything. And uh, she just wanted to, she thinks it's a, a fungus, a fun guy. Anyway, it's one I'm familiar with. It's called a stink horn. Now, the fungus is that white, thready-looking stuff, and it breaks down old bark and mulch and stuff. It does not hurt plants at all. It's a natural fungus that helps break down leaves and twigs and mulch and bark and stuff in the wood. doesn't hurt plants at all. But when it's happy, when it's really ready to, to, to celebrate, Instead of making a flower, uh, fungi make things like mushrooms and toadstools and push balls and things like that. This particular one makes what's called a stink horn. Those white little eggs are going to sprout into something that's bigger than my finger. And uh, I don't know, depending on your taste, it look it can look pretty pretty nasty. <laughs> but it's called a stink, and it smells bad, stink horn. You see it in old mulch. When we have cool weather, a little rain, those egg things will sprout this finger-looking thing that smells really, really nasty. doesn't hurt anything. Instead of getting rid of the mulch and worrying about it, I would just sort of loosen the mulch up, put some fresh stuff on top, and it puts up a stink horn, celebrate as one of those little bizarre things that uh, whoever created all these things here decided that was a the smell of it was a good joke on us. Anyway, uh, she also wrote that she enjoys our podcast. Likes She likes the way we think. Let's make things easy and don't get all tied up. And I want to thank you, Jane from Georgia. I also want to throw this one out. This is uh, uh, one that... Uh, uh, from Eamon, I think it's Beauty, B-U-T-I, uh, Eamon Beauty. He planted a mallow in his garden. And this is another weird plant I really don't want to share with you. This is weird stuff out there, folks. He planted a mallow in his garden, and they're doing really well until he got this kind of hair-like thing climbing up and covering orange strands, a really thin, like vermicelli, uh, spread all over it. Uh, he 
said he pulled off as much as he could, but it starts spreading around. Can I tell him what it is? This is actually a parasite. It's a plant parasite. You know, we think of mistletoe as being a parasite that lives in plants. This stuff, it looks like orange vermicelli, and it grows roots into the twigs of certain kinds of plants, and that's where it gets its nutrients. But it looks just like orange spaghetti. It's called dodder, D-O-D-D-E-R. I think it's kind of cool. He said it's too much. He doesn't really want it. But I'm thinking, eh, it's, it's, let's celebrate some of these weird things as much as you can. Between the stinkhorn mushroom and the parasitic daughter, we got some weird stuff out there. Ought to be a song about them. Hey, let's go up to, to Greenwood, to the Delta. Bill, you're in Greenwood. That's where the headquarters of the Garden Club of Mississippi is. What can I help yes, you with? Yes, that's right, Phil. Hey, are you going to play that weird uh, Halloween song you played last year? Well, which one was that? I don't remember. I might. Okay, I got a question about a plant around my mailbox. I found it a long time ago out in the country. It was a sunflower, I believe, mm-hmm. blooming in the fall, growing about like 8 to 10 feet tall. Yeah, yeah. And it's been around my mailbox for years, but you see I also had a leak in the city. Been fixed the leak for a year. They just did fix it, but anyway... Um, it sort of came out in the spring a little bit, but, you know, it died because of all that water around it. Yeah. And uh, there's no trace of it. Now, I'm just worried, you know, it, it may be dead from all that moisture. Could that be? Well, it, it could be. Does this have, like, little skinny leaves, long skinny leaves like your little finger? Yeah, it was just a beautiful little yeah. plant. It would bloom all all fall just about yeah. for yeah. weeks. I actually brought one of those in. I'm showing it to Java right now. That's called narrow leaf sunflower. It's a perennial. It's one of the best garden plants for fall, but it does get big. Uh, but get yeah. this, uh, B- Bill, it actually is also called swamp sunflower because it can live in low wet areas. A lot of times you see in, along the edges of wet ditches and stuff like that. So it might have been yours got overwhelmed by too much water all at once. Um, but if you know where it is, you know, if you could poke around, the plant should still be there and it may come back. I just don't know. It might have been overwhelmed by too much water all of a sudden. Yeah. But it well, could you know, t- I've been poking around and I have not been able to find it. And I, and I haven't been able to find any iron weed around here. Yeah. Because uh, all the pesticides and people moving in, building houses. I'm I'm finding very few wildflowers here in the Delta. Well, you just well because Delta's agriculture, you know, and you know they, you know, if if they had, if there was corn growing out there, they would till it under and grow cotton or soybeans. You know, that's just the way agriculture is. But if you get uh, you know, back on some of these back roads, you know, go up Highway Eight, you know, look over along the edges of the hedgerows and stuff, you can see these things there. Matter of fact, you can if you find this narrowly sunflower, which is blooming now. If you'll cut it back and move the roots to your place, you know, just the, the, the base of the plant, it'll come up just fine next year. So you can get a new start. But if you got to dig some, go ahead and cut it back or else it's going to wilt, suck itself dry before you can plant it. But you can get another start. And it yeah. should be, it'll be in some ditches out there if you get on out from town a little bit. Yeah, I was along Highway 3 from Vicksburg. Yeah. And there's some beautiful wildflowers growing out there in yeah. the country, middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, look for some hedgerows. It'll be out there. Oh, okay. Thank you, Phil. All right. Appreciate it. Appreciate that. Uh, I was talking about the Garden Clubs of Mississippi being in, in Greenwood. That's where the headquarters is. I was at uh, Mississippi State this past week uh, at their landscape seminar, sponsored by the School of Landscape Architecture and also the Garden Clubs of Mississippi. And uh, I was talking to the president of the Garden Clubs of Mississippi, Linda Dickerson. She's from 
from uh, Green, Greenville. Anyway, she said something in her introduction that really memorable the other day. We were talking about the benefits of gardening, and uh, she was talking about on top of everything else, it's a spirit thing as well. She said, and this is the great quote, she said, I won't let nine tomato plants that produced nothing this year keep me from planting nine more next year. I appreciate that a whole bunch. Anyway, let's go uh, down to the Gulf Coast, talk to, is it Al, Al Lane in Biloxi? Elaine, yes, Elaine, sir. okay. Howdy, what's up? Hey, Felder. Okay, so I have a, a pretty large oak tree in my front yard, about 10 feet around. Uh-huh. And I've got, and I hope you can hear me because my, yeah. my yeah. connection, okay, good. All right. I've, I've got lots of erosion probably 20 feet out from the base of the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm wondering, can I you know, bring in some dirt, because I've got some exposed roots now. Can I bring in some dirt? And, you know, like yeah. water it heavily, irrigate it, whatever, so that I can grow grass there. Yeah. I'm going to cut to the chase on this uh, because this is something I've dealt with for just about 40 years. What I was taught in, in a turf management class uh-huh. has uh, decades now as observation. I Even though you'll see grass growing under oak trees on the Gulf Coast. Right. If you mow high and take care of it, if you keep it alive, it'll grow for, for years and years and years. But here's the deal. Once it dies, for whatever reason, it's gone yeah. for good. I have yet to see a single success story in 40 mm-hmm. years of people getting grass reestablished in heavy shade. So what I would do, first of all, you said erosion. There's no hill. How do you have erosion in a flat part of the country? I mean, are you on the hillside, or is it just the bare root no, showing? It's it's just eroded. I mean, I've I've got like a, a ring of uh, jasmine around it that's uh-huh. kept the the soil there. But anything beyond there, just because the grass died, it just you know every time it rains, it just it runs off because I got a little yeah. teeny bit of slope yeah. in the yard. Yeah. So it but, just eventually it just wears out, and so I, yeah. I, I, I there's nothing left there. There's no good topsoil. Okay. Well, uh, for. Uh, let me. It won't hurt the tree to have roots okay. on top of the ground. That's actually that's real natural. And a lot of okay. places, including botanic gardens, actually celebrate that by making a distinct line where the grass is and where it isn't, and let the roots be an attractive feature of the tree. So right off the bat, it doesn't hurt the tree. So, uh, but as far as the erosion, your best bet would be to put some shredded bark because shredded bark doesn't float away like like chip bark does, and then eventually get you some Asiatic jasmine or ivy, uh, monkey grass, one of those kind of ground covers for the shade. Probably the easiest would be uh, monkey grass, whether it's that little small stuff they call mondo grass or Uh the bigger stuff they call liriope or liriope. Either one of those, if you'll put them in little rows on you know across where the wash is, get them established. Then leaves will start catching up on those, and you'll actually grow some pretty good dirt around those. So, so I would okay. I would use a ground cover where the where the water washes, and uh, up around the trees is just simply nothing that's going to grow other than Asiatic jasmine, English ivy, monkey grass, that kind of stuff. But no, okay. I, I wouldn't even think about getting bringing dirt in and planting grass under there. Just a waste of time. Okay. Good, okay. Good to know. Okay. Good luck. If you have some more questions about it, shoot me an email because we can get. I mean, there's a lot of really cool landscapes down there with no grass or other oak trees. Some really cool. You know, t- take a drive around town. Go over to uh, uh, to uh, what's the place right across the bridge? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ocean Springs. Hey, Ocean Springs. Yeah, yeah. Right around. Look at some of those gardens. You'll see some really terrific ideas there. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Good Thanks luck, so on. Okie doke. You too. Love your show. Thanks. I hope I don't come across a negative. Negative. And uh, I, I, uh, Job and I talked last week. I wouldn't mind coming up with a program next week just on grumpy gardening, just grumpy stuff, grouchy, grumpy stuff. Uh, stay down on the coast of Diamond Head. Hey, Paul, you calling about your fig tree? Yeah, I want to plant some. Uh, first of all, we, we love figs. And second of all, the deer don't seem to eat them. <laughs> yeah. Which is, Not which yet. Is a real problem. Yeah. Real problem down here. But uh, just what are some good varieties, both for eating and canning and just general figs, do's, and don'ts? There's some, there's some really good varieties of figs. Uh, matter of fact, there's a fella in central Mississippi who has like 20 different kinds of figs. I would start with one called Celeste. Start with a C, Celeste, like Celestial. It is your most dependable producer by far. Uh, and and, and okay. if I had, you know, if you could plant a whole bunch, I'd plant mostly Celeste because, you know, th- it just makes it easy. Uh, brown turkey is a popular variety, but it's kind of iffy. Sometimes they lose that first crop. Sometimes, you know, it's just, you know, th- it's a popular one and it's a good tasting, but it's not, it's not as dependable as Celeste. And then they've got some, there's an LSU purple that's a really funny looking. It's good for eating. It doesn't make the best preserves. It just for some reason, they just don't put up as well. But those are three really good ones. And then there's one, if you got anybody going up to Jackson on a weekend, the farmer's market down by the fairground, there's a guy named Don Kazari who sells his dad's old, what we call it, Kazari fig. They're as big as eggs. They're golden yellow. That little hole in the bottom is plugged up with what tastes like a, a, a drop of pure honey. But that's called Kazari fig, but only if somebody's going to be in the Jackson area. And that's one I grow in my yard. Okay. Uh, also, let uh, me throw any, any tips about growing. Yes, they they like they they like a wide hole. Each one you need to to go ahead and clear an area that's maybe four feet across. Work up the dirt pretty good. Don't add a whole bunch of stuff, and cover that with mulch. You know, don't have grass growing up to them. And then when you take the plants out of the pot, loosen up their potting soil, spread the roots out, and plant them just a little on the high side. So if they settle a little bit, they're not planted too deep and stay wet in the winter. And uh, the other thing is, when you, the day you put it in the ground, and this is crazy and people don't like to hear it, but this is what people who grow figs for a living do. This is what I do. The day you put it in the ground, cut it back to knee high, no matter how big it is, and it'll branch out the next year, and those branches will be the main trunks for the rest of the tree's life. And once you do that, every year, sometime in the wintertime, whatever grew the year before, uh, I'll give you an example. Mine has got all this stuff that grew this year, 2018. Follow it from the tip end to where it started back in the spring and cut about half of that off. That way, every year the branches will get bushier and bushier. You'll have a fig bush that you can actually pick instead of a fig tree that you can't reach the top. So cut it back when you plant it. And then every year in the winter, whatever grew the year before, cut it back about halfway. And you'll have pretty little bushes. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Really enjoy your program. More than you ever wanted to know, Paul, about figs. But shoot me an email <laughs> if you got some more questions about it. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. You know, when I go uh, to places like California, I'm lecturing in New England or up in the Midwest or anywhere outside the South. Um, I always take some homemade fig preserves, not these little, these little, I mean, I take these little small half pint jars because, you know, you can buy Vermont maple syrup, you can buy cherries, you can buy stuff anywhere on earth, but you got to know somebody to get homemade fig preserves. And that's one thing we Southerners got over everybody else. Now, let's go, staying on the coast, let's talk with Craig down in Biloxi. Hey, Craig, good morning. Good morning. 
What's up? Uh, my question is about nitrogen in the soil. There's a lot of uh, nitrogen in the air. Yep. If you if you aerate the ground, will the ground trap it? Nah, not really, because the stuff that's in the air is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in a gas form. But there are some plants that will tra- that that will trap it. Uh, you know about clover. Clover, yeah. the, the roots of clover have these little nodules on there that actually take the nitrogen from the air and convert it into little clover lumps. I'm going to call them little lumps. And then when you, as they decompose, it's in a form of nitrogen that plants can use. But it's a, it's a good question, but you have to have some way to trap it and convert it from, from oxygen nitrogen to dirt nitrogen. Okay, I have one one more question about persimmons. Can I take a a persimmon fruit and plant it, and and will it turn into a tree? Well, yes, you can. Matter of fact, I've got a persimmon right here, and it feels soft. It's really orange. It's soft. I bit into it, and it just turned my mouth inside out. It's not ripe yet. Here's the deal, though. Persimmons and plums and uh, 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 dogwoods and magnolias, those with fleshy fruit, those seeds won't sprout unless they get completely clean from the flesh. There's a there's a an ingredient in the flesh of the fruit that inhibits seeds from germinating. It's the way nature does it. It gets a possum to eat it. Possum completely cleans it in the digestive tract and it leaves the the seed completely clean. Well, it's got possum fertilizer. In it. But anyway, if you want to do this, take them out of the you know take them out of the uh, the persimmon or the dog or the magnolia, clean the seeds completely, uh, get all the flesh off of it, and then either plant, and and then plant them outside. The second thing they need, they need to be exposed to a certain amount of cold, chilling temperature. That's how they tell when it's springtime. So put them in a plastic bag in the refrigerator and keep them over the winter, plant them next spring, and they'll come right back up. Okay, you know, like sc- uh, scrub the seeds with a with a toothbrush or something. Yeah, you know, don't you know, don't don't booger them up. Just get all the flesh, you know, under running water, but clean them really, really good. And again, put them in a plastic bag with a damp, barely damp piece of paper, and put it in the refrigerator, not the freezer. This makes them think they've been cleaned. It makes them think they've laid out during a cool, moist winter, and then they'll sprout right right up. And then full sun and about an inch deep. Yeah, yeah. Now. Here's that's all the good news. The bad news is, and I gotta share this: uh, wild persimmons are either male or female. They don't. They're not. You know, you got to have a male and a female fig to get figs. And when you plant them from seed, you can't tell them apart till they get old enough to start bearing fruit. That might be five, six, seven years. So it's gonna be a gamble. You got to plant a whole bunch and hope you got at least one female and at least one male in that in, in that batch. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Good luck on it. All right. I've talked so much science today. My head is starting to explode about this science stuff. If you like persimmons, consider planting one of the Japanese persimmons. They're beautiful ornamental plants. The 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 fruits are the size of your fist. You they're self pollinating. The one called Fuyu or Fuyugaki, self pollinating, and they're sweet, sweet, sweet right off the plant. That's the way to go, and they're pretty too. Let's go, Gulfport, Shelley. What's up? Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Howdy. I'm trying to see what I need to do to control buttonweed. Oh, boy. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Virginia buttonweed, it's got a slick leaf, and so weed killers tend to beat up and roll off. And if you put more weed killer or put it on stronger, that'll kill your grass if you've got St. Augustine centipede. So we don't have a really good herbicide that'll kill it without killing your grass. What I would do, and this sounds kind of kind of weird, but this is absolutely true, 
Raise your mower to the highest setting. Throw the wrench away. Always mow high. Fertilize lightly, no earlier than next April. A little bit of good fertilizer, like centipede food on centipede or St. Augustine in April. And mow high and give it a good deep soaking. I'm going to say at least every three or four weeks, but not more than once a week. This will get your grass thick. It'll get it healthy. The buttonweed will have to grow up on top of it. Your lawnmower will snatch it out. Okay, so don't do anything to say like winterizing. No, no winter winterizers to get grass ready for winter. Uh, we don't. We recommend no fertilizer past the first September. You, if you put centipede food down on St. Augustine or centipede in April, you winterize for that next winter because that that winterizer ingredient potash lasts for a couple of years, okay. even in the sandy soils of the Gulf Coast. So fertilize sometime in April, mow high, and your grass will choke a lot of of the buttweed out. And the rest of it gets snatched up by the mower. All right. Thank you so much. Good luck. Bye-bye. Okay. I think we got time for one more call. Uh, Rhonda is on the road. Hey, Rhonda, good morning. Hey. Thanks uh, for taking my call. Sure. I, um, I am moving back to Mississippi after a few decades of living away, buying a house in Hattiesburg, actually on my way to find the closing today okay. well we're at the but end of the program so let's cut to the chase what can i help you with okay. right now i want to make a living roof uh, i want to build a patio a screen porch patio and i want the roof to be a green or a living roof and i can't find anybody I, i'm the guy that. i'm the guy Rhonda, i'm the guy to talk to i do this myself <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. I had a green roof arbor for years and years and years that was big enough to park my pickup truck on. And I found out, you know, when you read the stuff, they always talk about all these sedums and stuff like that. You don't find stuff yeah. written by people from the South, what will grow in the South. Yes. But they do it at Disney. They do. I've seen it on dog houses. I've got a green roof arbor thing that I built just to put my trash cans under. Okay, so well, I can tell you what will grow, but we don't have time today, but I'm the guy. I'll email you then. Do that, Ron. Hey, in Hattiesburg, cool little town you're moving back to. Is it an old home place, or that's just where you want it to be? Well, I went to Southern. Um, my parents live in Prentice. My dad's really sick, so I wanted to be yeah. there because that's where they go to the hospital and that kind well, of stuff. Well, there, so, there's, um, there's some cool stuff in Hattiesburg, some cool people. If you'll you shoot me an email, we'll get you started. The green roof thing, there are some, some things that will surprise you that won't work, some things that will surprise you that you wouldn't have thought about that I've worked out, with the, working with other people. Anyway, appreciate it so much. Folks, this is the Gestalt Gardener. We're a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Whew, it's been some science today, and I've been wagging my finger in people's face. I've been talking about the school colors in fruits and vegetables and flowers of all corn in Mississippi State. So if you got some stuff you want to talk about, shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Kevin Farrell's been the phone greeter today, the awesome, awesome Java Chapman's in there laughing about the music we chose. We're going to take a break. It's called a week. We'll be back after that. Talk with you more about gardening. Meanwhile, take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center. Show them how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. Get dirty.